If you have your Bible with you, uh, please turn to Matthew chapter 9. And as you turn there, if you do this with me, let's go to the Lord in prayer. But before we go, we uh, oftentimes, on, I, <laughs> as a parent, I, I get sometimes showing up on time to, um, to church. It's a victory in itself, let alone paying attention in church. I get it. Um, but sometimes something else might be holding our attention. Maybe something, maybe a health issues, maybe, maybe a financial thing, maybe something big, something small, whatever it might be. But right now in these quiet moments, let's go, Lord, and let's lift those things up to Him. He desires for us. He desires for us to listen to His Word. And only that He tells us that my, what, our, my burden is light, cast it on me. Cast it on me. So let's go, Lord. Father, I thank you for the, the, that we can be in your house with your people. Thank you for your love for us. Lord, i um, thankful that I get the privilege to preach your word. So, Father, I pray that you give me strength. Holy Spirit, I pray that you speak through me and none of me. May it be all of you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you be the congregation as they listen, Lord. I, I pray that, they, that you will continue to work in each and every one of our lives, Lord. Not just the congregation only, but mine as well. Father, as we open up your word, I pray that you will draw it out to us and help us to focus on it. Lord, there are many things that are holding our attention, whether it's trivial or really important or serious, Lord. Wherever it might be, Lord, I, you, you're fully aware of it. So, Lord, we're going to cast it on you because your burden is light and you want us to cast it onto you. So, we're going to do what you ask us to do. Father, may you be glorified tonight. In Christ's prayer. Amen. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 onward, and it reads And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them, because they were faint and scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Verse 37, Then said he unto his disciple, The harvest is truly plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labors into his harvest. Now, certainly a very familiar passage, especially for a missionary to, to touch on, especially verse 37 and 38. But tonight, we're going to do a little bit of something different. My focus tonight is actually on verse 35 and 36 instead. But before we even get to that point, I want us to see something. I want us to, to, to get a fullness of this. Because really, verse 35 to 38 is almost kind of at, at an end of a narrative section there. So, so for us to really truly understand verse 35 and 36, we kind of have to go back to the beginning of the narrative. Now, um, for time's sake, I'm not going to start all the way back to the very beginning of this narrative, which begins in chapter 8, verse 1. That's, that's kind of the section where it begins, and it comes to closing at, at the end of it. But for time's sake, I'm going to go back to verse 30, I'm sorry, verse 23, to 27. And, and by the way, I'm just going to kind of give a summation of what's happening so far leading up to that point. But I want you to pay attention to what is happening and how people 
are connecting or not connecting with Jesus, okay? So first, chapter 8, verse 23 through 27, Jesus got in the boat. He got in the boat, and he, he, he was so tired. He was so tired that he fell fast asleep. And a fierce storm came. A storm so, so powerful, so, so great that what? The fishermen that among them are scared and they're afraid. And now they're, they're, they actually came and took Jesus and says, Master, Master, don't you care about us? We're about to perish. Wake up, wake up, wake up. And I can imagine here Jesus got up, probably a little groggy still. But he probably went up to the front of the boat, and this is my imagination at the moment, but I know this is what he did. He went up and he says, what? Peace, be still. And you know what's awesome thing that happened? The sea remember the voice that made it, and it obeyed. And it becomes just calm, utter calm. Now, the disciples are no longer afraid of the sea, but they're afraid of the man. But nevertheless, they, they, were, they, were, they woke him up from the slumber. But finally, they got onto the other side of the shore, verse 28 through 33. And, and what happens there? Well, he, he really got into the boat. He wants to be on the other side of the shore because there is a man around that region that are demon-possessed. And in fact, he's so well known and he's so powerful that he's been a plague to the community around them. In fact, I have been there. I have been on the other side and you can actually hear because just the way that the Sea of Galilee is laid out, you sometimes can hear all the way from the other side of the shore. So you can imagine Jesus on the other side of the shore can hear this demon just yelling and screaming all the time. And he's been a plague to the community around them. And once he got to the other side, this powerful demon that the Bible tells us that no man can hold him and no chain can bind him, bow down and worship God. And he says, don't, don't, you know, don't destroy us. Cast us out to the, to the herd of swine there. And Jesus says, go. You may go. And the herd of swine jump off the cliff and drown themselves. But you would think that the community that has been plaguing by this man would be thankful one day. No longer have to deal with this guy. I mean, we, really, this man has been, he's in the passageway from the sea into the, into, you know, the port into the city, or, or anytime they want to go about anywhere, this guy is there. He's not in his right mind, and the Bible tells us that he's not with much clothes either. So you think the community would be thankful, but what did they do? They came out and said, Sir, we don't want you here. Please go away. Not a word of thanks, but go away, please. So go away, he did. Jesus went back on the other side of the shore, and he began to, for chapter 9, verse 1 through 8, he heals a paralytic man, and he told the, told the man, says, Son, your sins be forgiven. But the scribes and the Pharisees, what? They grumble, and they're like, oh, that's blasphemous. Jesus knows they're thinking, and he says this. Well, is it easier for me to say, your sins be forgiven, or pick up thy bed and walk? Uh, the, the, here's the reality, folks. 
Um, doesn't matter how good of a doctor you are, you can't just walk in and tell a patient, it's like, okay, you're good, get up. It is only God can do that. He's like, there's no difference. I'm trying to show you who I am. But what did they say? Blasphemy. Chapter 9, verse 9 through 13, he called Matthew the tax collector, and he eats with many tax collectors and sinners. The tax collector, the reputation of tax collector has not improved since then, and people hated them still, but they were like, how could you eat with such a people? They're traitors. They, don't you know they're tax collectors? How could you eat with them? Don't you know? Verse 14 through 17, he had to explain why he and his disciple does not have to fast. Well, he's like, you see, the groom is here. The wedding feast would happen if you accept me. Who would fast before a wedding feast? But they missed the point. They missed it. They're not getting it. Verse 18 through 26, here's a, here's a little longer narrative. He, there's, a, there's a man came pleading for his daughter's life. Sir, my, my little girl, she's 12. She, she's about to die. Will you please, will you please come and help her? Of course he says yes. But on the way there, there's a, there a little bit of commotion. A woman with blood disorder got healed by just reaching out. If I can just touch his garment. Now, for all that commotion, the servant came up and said, Sir, uh, don't, don't bother coming. Uh, she's dead. But Jesus wants to give them hope. What does he say? He said, no, 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 no. She's asleep. I'm going to wake her up. If you look with me in verse 24, how do they respond? They laughed him to scorn. Our translation was that they ridicule him. <laughs> Don't you know what the difference between a dead girl and a sleeping girl? But that didn't deter him. He still go there, and he still told the little girl, sweetheart, it's time to get up. And she got up. Verse 27 and 31, he gives sight to two blind men. And he told these two guys, one instruction, one thing, don't tell anybody. What did the two guys do? They went and told everybody. Verse 32 and 34. He cast out a demon from a dumb man so the dumb would speak. And this is the response of the Pharisees. You, you cast out demon by the prince of the power of the devil. By the way, as Pastor Art, when we did the verse this morning in Isaiah... When the dumb speaks, when the blind sees, and the dead are raised from the dead, the Messiah is here. And they miss the point. This is how Jesus is being treated. And really, honestly, if you look throughout the entire gospel, you see that over and over and over again. This is how people treated Jesus. And now let's go back to verse 35. Let me read it one more time. And then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, 
teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. That didn't stop him. The way people treated him didn't stop him to keep doing this. Why? Not only that, but when he saw the multitude, when he saw the sea of people, he was moved with a frustration or irritations or annoyances because there's a lot of people here. No, 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 no. He was moved with compassion on them because they faint and were scattered abroad as, a, as sheep having no shepherd. And the word actually I want to dive in tonight is compassion. You see, so often we think of Jesus and compassion. Of course Jesus would have compassion. Why wouldn't he have compassion? He's the son of God after all. That's so automatic, isn't it? Yes, but we forget. Here's the thing. Jesus is 100% God and what? 100% man. He tires like you and I do. He has emotions like you and I do. He cried. He laughed. He loved. He got angry at the temple when the people took his house, took his father's house like a dens of thieves. Now, his anger, though, does not produce sinful reaction. But he has those same emotions. He gets disappointed. His heart is broken. So why, why do we think that differently when treat, people treat him poorly? Why do you think that, of course, he's going to have compassion? No, he chose to do that. And this is a unique word here, actually, in the Greek. This is a unique word that affords us to actually do a little bit of study tonight. In the Greek, there are many Greek words that get translated into the word compassion, at least in the King James Bible. Other translations are translated slightly differently, but in the King James and New King James Bible, oftentimes there are many Greek words that get translated into compassion. But this one, this one that's being used right now, is unique. This word here is found only in the gospel, first of all. Not only that, it is used exclusively to describe Jesus or used by Jesus to describe either himself or God. And, and in a sense that we, pretty much, if you want to do a Bible study, you don't need to know Greek to do this, but you, anytime you see the word compassion and you see it, it's either describing Jesus or Jesus using it to describe himself or God, you know you're looking at that word. And many authors and many, many commentaries, many scholars, and I believe that this word is unique in the sense that it is a divine attribute. Now, I'm going to explain that in a second, but... But this word, the, the, the root of the Greek word has, a, has an idea, you know, and, and they, they didn't make up this word for Jesus, by the way. They borrowed the, the Greek word to, to use it. But, so the idea is, is the stomach or the gut or the intestine. You see, for the Greek, the, the root, the seed of emotion comes from here. And after this afternoon um, of my luncheon with the missionary group, Adopt missionary group. I have a lot more love to give. Um, man, it's corn season around here, apparently. So, man, I, I got a couple of those down. But, but for the for the Greek, the the, the seed of emotion the, the, is here. But for the for for us Westerner, for really for the world now, is what the heart. Plus, Hallmark's not going to sell us many cards that says "I got you" or 
you know, I stomach you or I intestine you. Um, guys, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that card, okay? Um, it will not go over well. I'm just, I'm just saying, not speaking experience or anything, just saying, okay? Don't do it. Um, but, but that's the idea of it. You know, for us, we'll have the closest thing is the gut-wrenching feeling or a stomach-turning feeling. But, but that's a seed of emotion. But not only that, here's, a, here's the thing. Because it is a unique word, we, we actually can kind of seek out a different, different spots fo- that found in the, in the gospel. And we can kind of shape it. Not necessarily shape it, but we can see the shape of it by looking at other sections and understand this word better. So if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verse 12 and 13. But as you turn there, I'm going to just tell you what's happening there at that point. Luke chapter 7, verse 12 and 13, it's a funeral procession. A funeral procession of a man right now, and, and, and Jesus is walking up towards it. All the people of the people in Jerusalem, or really the, the Israelites, they, they buried their dead outside of the city. So they're going to get outside of the city to bury them. So verse 12, Now when he came nigh, when he came close to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, just as I told you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but here's the thing. Here's a unique thing. Luke pauses the action. You see, this is, we will say, he walked up, he saw people being carried out of the city. There was a dead man being carried out. Well, what happened next? But he doesn't do that. He stops there, and he tells us something about the man. Well, what about him? The only son of his mother. Okay, that's fine, so let's move on, right? No, Luke stops one more time, and he says what? And she was a widow. Now, that is important information now because he stops the action to give us a description of the son and then the, the mother. Really, honestly, this is not about the Jesus and the dead man, but rather what? Jesus and the mother. So what's so important about the widow that we need to understand? Well, here's the thing. For a woman at that time, your livelihood is highly dependent on your husband. And when your husband is old or passes away, not able to work, you highly depend on your sons. But she only have what? One of them. And he's being carried out to be buried. She, in that society, is helpless. In fact, if I were to borrow from 1 King, where Elijah meets a widow woman, remember when God says, Elijah, Go to this widow lady. She's going to take care of you. That's a step of faith on Elijah's part. And only that Elijah went and says, Ma'am, can I have some food? What does the widow say? Sir, it's just me and my little boy. In fact, I'm going to go home, get up everything that I have, make my final meal, eat it, and wait for death to come. I can imagine, and again, this is not from the Bible. I'm just imagining here. I can imagine this widow lady probably doing the similar thing when she gets home that afternoon. <sighs> Got up her things. Figure out how many days she has left of food. And eat it. And says, 
son, I'm coming. For her, she is helpless. But that doesn't stop there. The beauty of it is verse 13 happens. What? And the Lord saw her, and he had what? Compassion, same Greek word, by the way. Compassion on her and said unto her, don't cry. Don't cry. What does he do? He went and told the son, son, get up. And the son got up, reuniting the mom and the son. So if I have to define compassion tonight, and if you were to take notes, if you were to do one thing, write one thing down, this is, I want to encourage you to write this down. Compassion, helping those who cannot help themselves. Let me say it one more time. Compassion, helping those who cannot help themselves. But you might say, okay, James, got it. Compassion, stomach, you know, divine attribute, helping those who cannot help themselves. But last time I checked, I can't raise people back from the dead. What does that have to do with me? Well, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, verse 27 and 28. Again, as you turn there, I'm going to tell you what's happening there. 27 and 28 is a parable. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And this parable is this. A man borrowed a large, large, large sum of money, so, big, so much that he can never repay it. He recognized that. He, he went and pleaded with the master. By the way, the master here represents God. And he pleaded with the master and says, Master, I cannot repay this. Will you... Please forgive me of the debt. And what does the master do? Verse 27, and the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion. Same Greek word. And loosen him and forgive him the debt. But that doesn't end there. Sadly, verse 28 happens. But the same servant went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred pence. A hundred pence is like $20 in current time. It's repayable, but what does he do? He laid a, a hand on him, and he says, what? Pay me what you owe me. And a servant saw that, told the master, and the master bring this man back in. Verse 33, and the master says this, shouldest not thou also had Compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I have pity on thee. Now, because there's expectation not for us, as far as this word compassion here, it's a different Greek word. It's a different Greek word here, this compassion. Shouldn't you also have compassion? It's a different Greek word. But here's the reality, folks. You don't need to know Greek to know this. Those who receive compassion are expect to give it. Not only that, so often we think of compassion as this, positive feelings of giving of time, giving of finance, giving of things, giving of effort, a a, a fairly positive um, endeavor. But this is teaching us something else about compassion here. It teaches us that compassions involve forgiveness of debt. 
it demands us to forgive. And here's a wonderful thing. Jesus exemplifies that on the cross. Do you know, as you hang on the cross, the Catholic actually really gives us a wrong perspective of how people are hung on the cross. Your legs are actually tucked behind you. You're hung super low. You're low to the ground. In fact, I'm probably too high even now. If you were hung on the cross, you're probably hanging here. I'm probably right here. You see, because that way people can come up and spit on them and laugh at them and mock them. And the way you die on the cross is not blood loss. The way you die on the cross is actually suffocating. You become so tired, you have to just reach yourself up, lift yourself up through the nails. And it's not through the hand, it's through the wrists to get yourself up just to breathe. In fact, the, the reason why that, that many of them, if they, they need to speed up, the, the Romans are good at executing people in a long, excruciating manner. In fact, they, 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 would, they know how to draw it out, but if times is of the essence, they would, this is what they do. They would break their legs so they cannot lift up anymore. So they can't breathe. But here's why I know what I'm saying about forgiveness. You know, Jesus on the cross, he repeatedly said this one phrase, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The tense there, the Greek tense there, has an idea of being repetitive over and over and over again. Do you know as you lift yourself up just to breathe is an excruciating act. But he also chose to get enough breath to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's forgiveness. That's releasing people of the debt. I remember preaching this one time. He says, James, how? It's, it's, it's hard, by the way. I, I'm going to admit it. I'm going to be the first one to admit it. I'm going to be the example of this, by the way. It's hard to do that. I remember preaching one time, and, and one of the church members asked me, Pastor James, how, how, how do you do this? How do you, how, how do you have compassion and, and all those things that you preached about? And, and I, I looked at her. We're at, a, we're at a subway. My wife and I were doing lunch with, with, the, with them, her and his, her husband. And I looked at her. I'm like, Shar, you know, as I walk through that subway line, that, that, that what they call it, sandwich artist, uh, the sandwich artist was kind of rude to me. And in my heart, I was like, oh, I'm the customer. I'm always right. If I want mayonnaise on my meatball sub, I get mayonnaise on my meatball sub. And all of you, are, half of you are kind of judging me right now. <laughs> and the other half of you is like, hmm, sweetheart, let's stop by Subway tonight. 
But that's the reality. Even a sandwich artist on a wrong look caused me to have this anger in my heart. And I'm supposed to be meeting with my church family and says, oh, you should love Jesus. I told Shara, I must admit, I have to keep yielding to God in every of those moments. I have to forgive him of this debt. Honestly, it, it, from this perspective, it's extremely trivial and stupid almost. Sorry. Um, silly almost. But here's the reality. In my heart, in small things, I cannot just let it go. And tonight as you drive home, maybe that person cuts you off. How does your heart react? And do you have that compassion in you to say, I will just let that offense go? Compassion. Now let's continue on. Let's let's finish up real quick. But first, so tonight, first thing I want you to understand is the compassion our master has for people. Okay, compassion helping those who cannot help themselves. Well, let's continue on. Verse 36. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 36, and I promise the sword drill is over. Verse 36, and it reads, When he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them. Why? Because they faint and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Faint and scatter abroad. Out of translation, would translate it bewildered, um, <laughs> loss. Again, the Greek, the, the tense there has a repetitive tense again. Once more, more time. It's, it's that idea of being beaten down by life over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. It is as if they can't catch a break, so to speak. I imagine in this crowd here, and they're probably, you don't have to raise your hand, but I imagine there are some folks here that accepted Christ as your personal Savior when you're a little bit older. And I imagine those of you who did probably remember a time you wonder if there's anybody out there that loves you. Is there anybody that out there out there walks with you? Is there anybody out there that will love you without a conditional clause behind it? I don't know about you, but Psalm 23 is a wonderful psalm for us Christians. Even through the valley of the shadow of death, he's with me. But can you imagine walking through that valley alone? That's how the loss feels. By the way, if you're here tonight, whether you're visiting or you've been coming for on a regular basis, but if you are you currently feeling like I I just don't know this good shepherd that you're talking about, I don't know this this thing. I, I know what you're talking about, being lost and being overwhelmed by life. I want to let you know tonight that there is a good shepherd that will walk with you through this life. 
He'll walk with you gently. He'll walk with you lovingly. You don't have to go through this life alone. He doesn't promise that suffering will cease, but he promised that he'll never leave you. And I want to let you know that he died for your sins and my sins. And I want to encourage you tonight, if you do not know Christ as your personal Savior, and I know I don't have enough time to fully explain it, but I want to let you know there's a good shepherd. And, and if you want to talk to somebody, talk to him. Um, but talk to one of us. Talk to somebody, talk to somebody that, that we would gladly either tell you or point you to someone that can tell you fully. Because you don't have to go through this life wondering, does anybody out there love me? So I want to make sure you know that. Whether you're a visitor or whether you are a member for a while. By the way, if you're visiting, please come back for next week's regular schedule programming. Um, <laughs> don't let this guy scare you away. Um, please come back. Give this church a try again. But that's the thing. We are like sheep having no shepherd. They are without the shepherd. And then here's the thing. They, they, the sheep are, 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 are dumb right? I learned this recently. Sheep are dumb. They, they follow leaders unquestionably sometimes. They're stubborn. By the way, you cannot transport, apparently you cannot transport a single sheep by itself. It starts having fever because it's so worried. You need to, when you take sheep to somewhere, you need to take them in pairs, so that's why the shepherd, the 99, he would abandon the 99 for that one. But only that, they, they followed the leader. I, in, nine, in 2004, there was a shepherd in Australia, lost 4,000 sheep. One jump off the cliff, the other follow. I can hear the conversation earlier that day between a mama sheep and a baby sheep, or probably a teenage sheep, but... Mama sheep says, well, if your friend jump off the cliff, would you do it? <laughs> Teenage sheep says, yeah, you betcha, mom. <laughs> so would you too. And later on that day, they, they committed that promise. But sheep are a reminder of who we are, and we are natural prey. We need a shepherd. We need someone tend to us. We need help. As I mentioned a few times, um, that in, in the summertime, last three summer, we, we go to a camp called Camp Shatek in northern Wisconsin. At that camp, we are the camp missionary. So for, for each night, we have about 10 to 15 minutes to encourage children about missions. That camp does a wonderful thing. They call it an ICO, intercity outreach. Each year at the beginning of the week, at the beginning of the summer, there's one week is exclusively devoted to inner city kids. That's from Minneapolis and St. Paul. They would bust them in and they would give them, you know, they would preach them the gospel, but not only that, they would feed them, they would clothe them, and they would take care of them. 
These children oftentimes would come in, they would, in the first meal, they, sometimes they would gorge themselves because, you know what, they're taught that if you see food, you put it away because you're not guaranteed the next meal. There are other children that would tell counselor, even after two days, they would say, can I stay with you forever? Because you love me more than my parents do. In fact, some of them don't even know where their parents are. I don't know, maybe he's in jail. But these children, I'm so glad we can do those for them. And in fact, it was a fun week for for me. I wasn't there at the beginning, but at the end, if they behave well, they get sponsored back for one last week at the end of the summer. And I was there for the end of the summer. And, I, you know, they still are a handful at times. And I remember the first couple of days, there's, there's one of the little boys in the I'm like, I'm just trying to get them to sit down. He couldn't even sit down. But you know what was awesome? By Wednesday, he told me, he was telling everybody, I accepted Jesus as my Savior today. And then a little boy, he, he came into the office, and he's like, I want to go home. And, and we found no reason for him to go home other than he just says he wants to, and we're trying to encourage him to stay, and guess what? By the end of that week, he came up to me, and he's like, I want to be a missionary to Hong Kong someday. That is awesome. And you know what? That's all sponsored by a gentleman who has a, who's a wealthy donor, and he says, you know what? Bring as many as you can. I'll pay for them. And you know what? I, that's a wonderful thing that he's doing for them because to some degree they are helpless. And I think we ought to do that. I think we, we need to do that. Remember, the definition, helping those who cannot help themselves. But here's my question for you. How do you define helpless? You know how we oftentimes define helpless? We define helpless kind of the same way we define other drivers on the road. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, I drive a lot. This is what happens. If you're driving along and there's somebody that is just right in front of you and they're going like at least, you know, like five miles below the speed limit, you're like, they just need to get off the road. (laughs) We need to revoke their license. (laughs) Right? And then not only that, the, however, and then there's somebody that's come up alongside you, and they're going like at least 10 over. And they're zooming past you, and you look at them, you're like, where's the cops? <laughs> Is this a lawless land any in here? I mean, it's Pennsylvania, but come on. We define other drivers by how fast we're going. And I think oftentimes we define helpless according to us. We set a line and anybody that's less fortunate than us is helpless. But here's the question. What about that neighbor that bought a new boat yesterday? They don't need my help. I mean, look, really, they they got a new boat and they're renovating all the time. They got plenty of money. They don't need my help. What about that coworker that stabbed you in the back last week to get that promotion? 
Well, they certainly don't need my help because they, they got the promotion. They know how to climb the corporate ladder. What about that boss that seemingly doesn't have to worry about health care or health issues? Well, they don't need my help. They have good insurance. I mean, man, I hardly, <laughs> I have to look at bills and figure out what to pay this month. Are they? They're helpless. They're not helpless. Are they? Remember, I said this at the beginning, all the money in the world does not solve all the problems in the world. And here's the reality, folks, and you guys know where, exactly where I'm leading to. If they do not know Christ as their personal Savior, they are helpless. Doesn't matter that the riches of the rich or the poorest of the poor, their righteousness and their righteousness and my righteousness doesn't get me anywhere. It's only through Christ and Christ alone. Now, of course, there are times that they're going to rub you the wrong way. They're going to be annoying at you. They might even laugh at you. But should we remove our compassion for them because they don't seemingly deserve it? That's not what Christ did. What about you? What about you? By the way, you might say, James, I, I got it. Okay. Tomorrow I'll be nice and I'll befriend. I, I appreciate what Pastor Art talked about this morning. Befriend them and, and as you go, maybe you can share the gospel. I'll befriend them. I'll do my best to like them. And I'm going to tell you, they're going to be extra annoying tomorrow. That's how Satan works. And this is actually, and I'm not going to preach on it, but if you look at verse 38, that's the response you need. It's not from within. I'm going to muster up love. But rather it says, pray, oh Lord, I don't know how to love them from within, but I'm going to love them the way you love them. So here's the question, folks. Will you see people the way God sees them? And will you love people the way God loves them? Father, we're grateful for your love for us. Thank you that your kindness, your gentleness, your grace, and your truth is shown through Jesus Christ. Thank you that you send your son while we don't deserve it and in fact we curse his name and we mocked him we jeered him we crucify him you send him to die for us oh lord i pray that you'll help us to see that and understand that within for our community around us for the people around us help us to see people the way you see them and love people the way you love them and in christ we pray amen